When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Struggling to sleep? Don't worry, babes, you're not alone. CBD brand CB2 have found that half of UK adults have had their sleep affected by the pandemic, losing between one and two hours of sleep every night. But don't worry, because CBD oil can really help. And I'm so excited that Make It Rain is working with the leading UK CBD brand CB2. Their products change people's lives through better quality sleep and managing symptoms of stress and anxiety, including mine, and my eye bags are thanking me for it. If that wasn't enough for you, their products come in so many different forms. You can choose between an oil, a capsule, a skincare range, or a candle, so you're spoiled for choice. And if you've never used CBD products before, CB2 have a seven-day Discovery Duo starter kit to get you going. So guess what? You can get it for half price. Just head to their website, cbii-cbd.com and use the code MAKEITRAIN and you can experience the feel-good difference for yourself. Hi, I'm Josh Smith and welcome back to my podcast, Make It Rain. I'm a journalist and presenter and I've been lucky enough to sit down and have unfiltered conversations with some truly incredible people. I know from my own experiences how powerful talking and crucially listening to others is, something you have heard about in this very podcast. And without a doubt, my life has been changed by the people I've met. I'm so excited that you are back to join me each week to meet amazing queens who've overcome challenges in their own lives. They're open up about their journey they've been on to harness their power and wear their crowns with pride. I really hope you'll feel empowered to own your own story and make it rain in your own lives too. In this episode of Make It Rain, we are joined by Game of Thrones turned the Fast and the Furious star, Natalie Emmanuel. Natalie started her career in the West End in The Lion King, no less, before moving to the small screen with a four-year stint in Hollyoaks before Westeros called. Natalie starred as Miss Sande in Game of Thrones for seven whole seasons before she met, let's just call it, a rather brutal end. She went on to star in Mindy Cullen's TV reimagining of Four Weddings and a Funeral, available via Amazon Prime if you missed it, and now she's taking things up a gear for a third time in the Fast and the Furious franchise, which is now, believe it or not, in its ninth film. In this chat, we talk about diversity in casting after that debate following her Game of Thrones exit, the resilience she's gained from being bullied as a teenager, and where she draws the line about nudity on screen. There are so many amazing words about working out your boundaries and sticking to them, something I personally struggle with, so I hope you take as much away from this episode as I did. So crowns at the ready! Hello, babe. Hi. Are you? I'm very well, thanks. Um, I'm just—it's quite a sort of regular day today. I'm just at home and 
doing a bit of housework and yeah, went and got, I ran out of loo rolls, so I went and got some of that. It's a pretty, <laughs> you know, not a very exciting day in Casa Natalie. Well, Until now. Until now, babe, of course. I mean, going from loo roll to make it rain, babe, the only way is up. I agree. The only way is up, definitely. Well, speaking of the only way is up, you're about to take us into a whole new gear out of um, lockdown with Fast and the Furious 9, and the category <laughs> is High Octane Action Babe, <laughs> isn't it? It is, and I liked your transition there. That was, um, <laughs> yeah, it is, it's, it's gonna, yeah, it's definitely High Octane, it's definitely a lot of action babes happening in Fast 9, and so, yeah, it's a really exciting exciting um time especially with the year that we've had and cinemas closed and we've basically just all been streaming stuff and so the idea of going back to a cinema and watching fast nine just sort of feels like such a perfect welcome back oh my god absolutely how much of a badass babe do you feel in real life basically i'm pretty calm and i don't feel that that kind of action babe on a day-to-day basis (laughs) Um, to be honest, but I'm very, very calm until like I feel, you know, kind of disrespected or kind of someone pushes my buttons and then I'm a bit like, okay, you think just because I'm a calm person that I'm not going to mm. tell you about yourself, but I am. So yeah, that's, I think in terms of like the kind of traits of an action babe, I will always kind of stick up for myself and others if I can, you know, because, mm. or if I feel it calls for it, because I just, you know, forget, I, like I just, but my life isn't very action. I don't even drive, like I don't even drive a car. <laughs> I literally love the fact that you are in Fast and Furious and you don't even drive a car. <laughs> Before, you know, the kind of like Game of Thrones moment happened for me, I was either, very very busy or very very broke and there was like kind of no in between (laughs) and um and so when when I started then working on Game of Thrones and like suddenly I was having all these amazing opportunities I then was just busy even though I could technically afford to do it and so this is the first time where I've actually been free and also can afford to do my driving lessons so for me I just um I know that I've got a bit like comfortable with my way of doing things and but it's time now to like it's time to seize that day I mean I love what you said earlier about being a very calm person and previously you've described yourself as a bit of an introvert yeah so how do you manage being an introvert in a world especially in acting where it's seemingly full of extroverts i mean i am like in in addition to being an introvert i'm an incredibly sensitive soul as well Mm. and like i feel everything so immediately like if there's a weird energy i'm like what's going on like or if someone's having weird energy towards me i'm like oh no like and it will really upset me so i've had to sort of build um i guess like a toolbox of things to of coping mechanisms and I think like a lot of actors and like creatives, I am an introvert, but I also have, I'm kind of got that introvert extrovert thing. And um, I'm able to kind of like direct my energy into a certain direction if when I need to, 
but there is definitely a point like when I am in the middle of filming because you spend so much of your day giving energy to other people and to the space and to the creative process that by the time the like weekend comes I'm just like so drained mm -hmm. and so I have to sort of spend time alone time being very quiet time just like doing nothing in order to kind of build up my energy supply again for the coming week so you know just being aware of the tendency to just be drained of all your energy just from the kind of social interactions of my job or just any social interactions to be honest um and just being kind to myself when I know that I'm depleted a bit is like a was like a huge um kind of turning point for me because I used to just keep going keep going keep mm -hmm. going and then I would just get burnt out and then suddenly I'd be like crying in the shower and I'd be like, I don't know why. This is why am I so overwhelmed? And I realized it was just because I wasn't giving myself back the energy that I was giving out. And so, you know, it it, it started off with just creating an awareness of like what I needed on any given day. And like, what my, how was my energy? It's like checking in all the time and being super aware. And that kind of came about because of my interest and love of like yoga and meditation just having a practice of checking in with your body with your mind with your emotions you know with your mental well-being all of that 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 takes practice and I think just always always being in conversation with myself was a really great tool to, to have because you have been on this wellness journey I guess in some ways how do you think that wellness has saved you at different times and when have you leaned on those kind of practices and those teachings that you've learned the most um to be honest i think i think where it's really helped me is in those moments where people um want things from you and you just know in that moment you're like i know that if i do this thing or go to this place or you know or I do this thing that someone's asking of me that wasn't like previously agreed and now they're kind of like pushing boundaries a bit. I know that there's going to be a part of myself that is going to be compromised in a way that mm -hmm. I'm going to I'm the one that's going to have to deal with the aftermath of that and the repercussions of that. And when you are, I guess, aware of where, where your lines are, where your boundaries are, like what you need to kind of protect your own well-being being and self-care and stuff like it actually I find it quite empowering and it's made like no is has become one of my favorite words and mm -hmm. because it's so much about being able to preserve your your mental well-being just your inner peace in general um you know when you are constantly in dialogue with yourself when it comes to situations where people are maybe trying to push your boundaries or get things out of you that you really are not sure about it makes it easier to say no because you're like it's so immediate you're like oh no 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 I, I don't want to do that or no sorry thank you but that's not really what I'm about right now or I don't have the energy for that right now and and that's okay I think I need to be a bit more you <laughs> from just hearing that I've already come to that conclusion because I found myself, like, I feel like I went through this last year and I, I was like, I've learned so many lessons about 
how I want to respect my downtime, how I don't want to go out all the time and feel like I have to be this bubbly person all the time who's mm-hmm. 600 different things to so many different people at once and to respect my boundaries more. And then I feel like every single time we've come in or out of lockdown, I haven't respected those boundaries. <laughs> and I've said yes to things that I want to say no to. And I get to the end of it and I'm like, I am exhausted. Like, yeah. why have I done this to myself? And it's like, I think that's such an important lesson and also to learn that no is a full sentence, right? It really is. It's the best sentence, to be honest. I'm also guilty of that as well. I'm not like this person that gets it right all the time for myself. There are times where I make decisions thinking it's the right thing and it isn't. And that's like just part of life and making mistakes and that's fine. But it definitely takes practice to kind of have uh, a sense of awareness that you can, that you are, and also to give yourself permission to prioritize yourself. I think we've Mm -hmm. also been, we've all been indoctrinated that we have to be in service or, you know, of others. And the idea of like prioritizing, uh, prioritizing yourself is almost like selfish or something. Um, But there's nothing wrong with being selfish when the time calls for it. And I think, um, especially as a woman and a person of color, like I was never given that permission. I always had to do the most and to be like, approved of and actually I really um I'm I'm learning a lot of that so um that's um that's been such a lovely kind of revelation that I've had Mm. in in my kind of adulthood and like you know womanhood too is there a time you can remember where you've stood up for yourself in a way that you wouldn't have done say like 10 years ago I mean there's been lots of times to be honest uh when I did Game of Thrones like I agreed um towards certain kind of nude scenes or nudity within the show and the perception of that from other projects when they when the role required nudity that I was just like open to do Mm. anything because I did it on that one show but what people didn't realize was that you know I agreed to certain terms and specific um, things for that one particular project. And it didn't necessarily apply to all projects. And I definitely had people kind of challenge me and being like, but this part requires that. And I said, well, you know, like, that's fine. If you require that in the part, then like, I, I don't feel comfortable doing that level of nudity. I will do this, this amount, you know, mm-hmm. I can do this, what I feel is necessary for that part. And Frankly, if someone was like, well, we need this nudity, I would be like, well, thank you very much. Like, I appreciate your interest, but that's just not what I feel is necessary for this part. And like, it's a difference of opinion and creative differences and that's fine. Like, and what I found nine times out of 10 is that people are much more solution-based and want to come to a kind of um, compromise. And- you know, you might not always get it your way, the way you exactly want it, but there's always a middle ground. And I found as I've got older, like, the, like that's just one example, the kind of like nudity clause thing. But like, there, there are so many situations where I've, I've spoke on a situation that really like, I was terrified, like my heart is literally in my throat. Mm. <laughs> Being like, this, like, I'm so sorry, this is making me feel this way and blah, blah, blah. And and someone's gone, oh, okay, I'm so sorry, we didn't realise, we didn't realise, so what can we do? And then what, how can we make this 
easier for everybody. And then you're like, oh. Well, those moments when you feel like you've got that lump in your throat and you vocalize and you stand up for yourself is a textbook example of making it rain. And that is what it's all about. That is the actions of a pure queen right there and then. Because that is realizing your own power, isn't it? Yeah. And And with that in mind, like who do you think has passed the crown onto you in a way and given you that faith of self and that self-assurance? Um, well, Queen Mama Debs, my mom, <laughs> um, absolutely passed on that to me. Um, yeah, she's always kind of instilled this sense of pride and like sense of self and truth in my sister and I, especially as young women and, you know, mixed black women she's mixed as well like um Caribbean mixed as well and she I think she was always just like I need my daughters to not be to feel like they have to apologize for themselves and be on you know be invisible she always wanted us to speak up and defend ourselves and it's so funny even at school (laughs) if a teacher like you know often when I feel like this is maybe changing. I'm not sure now because I'm not in school, but I always remember at school, ch- teachers were kind of like, do as I say, not as I do. And mm-hmm. and almost like if you challenged them, the fact that you challenged them was so bad, even if you were not rude or even if you were completely validated in your challenge, like in your challenge or justified in challenging them. And they even if they behaved horribly, and you challenged it, it was like, how dare you challenge an adult? And my mum always said to me, you can challenge anybody, you can confront anybody as long as you are respectful. And so it was like, you know what you have to say with all due respect, sir or miss or whoever, you know, but, and give your point of view. Like nobody can have a go at you for just expressing your opinion as long as you are respectful even your even adults and so that was a the one of the earliest lessons of like challenging people of power or systems of power or where i felt like i was being unfairly treated i mean that's such a powerful lesson i think as well from what you were saying like i was thinking about like, because I'm an ambassador for the charity Place Be, which I know you did an event for not that long ago. Mm-hmm. And I have only realized from working with that charity, which is the leading UK's mental health charity based in schools, if people don't know who are listening right now. And fantastic. It's, it's amazing. The work they do is so incredible because actually, like, being a child is quite a devoicing experience, isn't yeah. it? And I've only really realized the kind of, I knew at the time I was going through some sort of mental health turmoil when I was a teenager because it's almost becomes a rite of passage when you're at that age with those hormones flying around and everything Mm -hmm. like from your own perspective looking back at your like childhood and teenage years now what was your own mental well-being (laughs) like at that time um to be on I mean to be honest like teenage years for me were not great I, I was very much, I had, you know, my, my mom and my sister, like a great support system. Um, and I, and I was really into dance. And so that was like very much an outlet for me, but, but I got quite badly bullied at school for quite a few years. 
and by the same group of people and um it was quite it got to a point where I was quite isolated like most lunch breaks I was on my own in a classroom doing homework because that was all I you know I wasn't like sociable I wasn't socializing at lunchtime it was kind of like well I guess I should just get my history homework done you know because <laughs> there's nothing else to do um and so I definitely was like that I struggled with that and it got to it got quite bad to the point which is really interesting when I was just talking about using my voice I stopped talking at school completely like I stopped engaging in classes I stopped kind of interacting and to the point that like a teacher phoned my mom and was like something's wrong I I think something's wrong which actually I didn't learn until I after I'd left the school my mum told me when I was probably like 19 or something she said yeah no I knew what everything that was going on and because like a teacher had been keeping a really close eye on me which you know I was really grateful for um and so I I I definitely went into myself I definitely you know stopped communicating and as well as other kind of external things that were going on um I I I definitely found my teenagers incredibly tough but I had this outlet of like dance and acting and like mm. my creativity um that really was a lifeline and really kind of stopped me I think disappearing into myself completely um and that was just such a wonderful wonderful gift and I always when I think back actually you know my mom like on a carer's salary did not have a lot you know of money for me to do all these extra curricular activities and like she really made sure that that I that we got to have them and she worked extra jobs she did all these things and I just you know I'm so like un unbelievably um like grateful for that because I think the absence of that outlet I think I would have had so much more healing to do now I think mm. um and all like the months afterwards and it was funny because i started in Hollyoaks and I was like 17 and I was so young I was so shy I remember like when I speak to people that I worked with then they were like oh my gosh you were so shy like so like you barely said anything like unless someone spoke to you like they really like now when they meet me they go oh like you're just so outspoken and really confident <laughs> and like when we first met you because I'd come literally straight out of school and had been in that environment that wasn't so great. I mean, I loved school, don't get me wrong. And I loved my school. I thought it was, I I loved going to school, but there was just this one section of just, that was not easy and um, at all. And I felt incredibly isolated and incredibly um, like sad and lonely at times. Mm. And so, and that kind of gave me insecurities about me and how my that self worth and my that how I valued myself like and so it was really amazing like over the years to kind of find my find that voice again and find um yeah just like my confidence again and it's great because Ricky Whittle who played my big brother who's now like a 
successful one like well he's he's always been successful successful as long as I've known him but you know he's got his show American Gods and he's doing all these wonderful things and like he's still my big brother now like we still have that relationship and he always would comment on like how the transformation happened because he knew me then when I was really sort of shy (laughs) and I still am a bit shy but I think I've like I said I've gained confidence and I've gained confidence in in being able to speak for myself. Mm. Do you feel that, I mean, you've been in the biggest TV show mm-hmm. ever created. You're in one of the biggest franchises Hollywood has ever seen. I mean, nine movies, that's insane. Do you feel like you're almost doing this for that girl <laughs> who was bullied in a way? <laughs> um Yes, I mean, that girl wanted to go places and see things and be creative and, you know, just, yeah, I guess so. I mean, I always think about that girl a bit and I think, oh gosh, she had no idea what was coming. She had no idea what she was capable of. She literally was like, I'm not capable of any of it at one point, you know. So the idea that I yeah I am doing it for that girl and I'm doing it in a way for lots of little girls who and boys and non-binary people like and trans people like you can do it you can do it Mm. whatever the messaging is that tells you you're not worthy you're not good enough you have no idea what's coming and it's like you are able to unlearn all of those things those shitty things that people said or did to you you're allowed and it doesn't have to be the the end of the narrative you know so like just just you know just know that it's it it will get better it can get better and I I feel very very grateful um and I think that girl taught me so much it taught me how resilient I am (laughs) Mm. oh my god absolutely and we are going to be Picking up that narrative in 2.2 seconds after this quick break, babe. Make It Rain is proud to be working with Aurelia London, the experts in probiotic skincare. I don't know about you, but coming out of winter, my skin is looking super dull. So to bring back my glow, I've been using Aurelia London's probiotic concentrate to supercharge my everyday skin routine, using it alongside the Aurelia London Day Moisturiser. Probiotic skincare gives the ultimate glow, no matter what your skin concern is, from fine lines to rosacea and even pigmentation or acne. And because Aurelia London and Make It Rain are all about empowering people to glow inside and out, I have a special code for you. Get 20% off the entire range by heading to aureliolondon.com and using the code JOSH20 at the checkout. Welcome back. Thanks. (laughs) And I mean, everyone kind of fell in love with you on a global scale (laughs) for the first time in just a small show called Game of Thrones. That little thing. People might have heard of it. They might have done. (laughs) And I mean, your exit from it, like it, it promoted like fierce debate, a lot of debate. Yeah. Social media was alive with it. Yes, I woke up the following day and my phone was, it was blowing up. It was a lot, Mm. yeah. Because there was a lot of debate over it because you were the only leading woman of colour in the show. Mm -hmm. And looking back now, 
and also knowing what we've been discussing and talking about in the last year yeah does that mean you reflect on that absolutely in new ways absolutely I think this is not something I didn't know then but mm. uh because as a mixed black person um while I have all this privilege um because I'm like a mixed person uh and have a lighter complexion like I know that I may or may not have had certain opportunities because of that privilege and that's like something that I have to, I am have, have had to educate myself about. I also have all, always existed in spaces that when I take up space in any pro- pro- production, really, it means something because we're so used to just seeing our leads be white and our um, supporting leads be white. And then there might be like some peripheral characters that are now like, I, I, you know, through this year, I've been binge watching so many things and that kind of like, um, you know, call for diversity. Um, we've seen it, but you still like the kind of primary characters are usually white. And, um, and then they're like, oh, that, that random character that come, you know, we can cast somebody brown for that. It's like the brown part in everything. Mm. And it's this idea that there can only be one, which is so ridiculous to me. And um and I think you know Masande and Grey Worm, um were kind of representing a very specific um part of the world as the kind of main characters speaking characters of the show. But like there is something about the fact that I was the only long running woman of color in the show, and when she died, everyone was like, she's the only woman of color in the show, and that we've like got to invest and grow to love and learn about and like she's the only one. And I think that my death kind of sparked this conversation around why can there only be one? And when there is only one, how do we treat that person? How do we treat that woman mm. of color? How do we um, give her the, you know, like the respect that she deserves? And so I think that was the the conversation. and. I think I was really proud of the fact that her exit sparked this really important conversation because it's not just this show, it's many shows. It's not just one movie, it's many movies that do not necessarily have that in mind when they're casting, when they're writing, when they're producing. They're like, Mm. we do kind of like, we set it up in a certain way and then we're like, oh, how can we kind of shoehorn this person in or shoehorn that person there when actually like when it comes to like the the diversity conversation or the inclusivity conversation it seems that there can only be one or two parts for people who are not white and you know like black people alone are just incredibly diverse incredibly (laughs) you know, like talented and have all these various stories to tell. Like, why is it that there has to just be one person and they have to nine times out of 10 seemingly look this way or look that way, you know, and they have to be this kind of character. They don't, it's almost like they don't have any, they, they don't have any real kind of story or backstory about them. 
you know, and uh, and I'm talking not specific, I'm not really talking about Game of Thrones, I'm talking like in a wider general context. And you don't often learn about these people's families or friends or mm. they're, they're wider, they just kind of show up in the sort of main story that is centered around a white person. And like, we have to start to dismantle that. And I think that was a huge kind of conversation starter for this exact thing. And I was incredibly grateful for that. And, but this doesn't mean that when I, um, you know, that like, this doesn't mean that I wasn't so proud and excited of everything I did in Game of Thrones. And like, Missande was, is like in the book, she's a child, first of all. And a lot of the, the storyline that I did have was not in the books and it was things that was created for me. Mm. You know, and I thoroughly enjoyed bringing that person to life. And the more I learned about her, the more I, like, I fell in love with her as an actor who was playing her. So, like, it really is a demonstration of how successful it is when we give characters of colour that depth and that wider kind of context. Like, it, it shows that because people were so devastated when she died. Mm. you know because they were like oh we've fallen, fallen in love with this whole person um and who's had a life and and that really is just what i think so many people who are in historically marginalized groups want that representation not just to be like in front of the camera and um you know kind of doing this very surface story they want the the, the juicy bits they want them because those characters yeah. deserve them as much as the what their mm. white counterparts and then you know the conversation goes on further when you consider then how do we make that happen we create um space for people from different backgrounds different um like marginalized groups and we bring them in we bring them into those writers rooms we bring them into those producers producing teams we bring them in all through every level of production and every department. Because when we have more voices or more seats at the table, we're less likely to fall into those those kind of tropes. You know, that's not new for most of us who exist in black and brown bodies. Like we know what's been going on and what does go on. So, you know, like there is always a push afterwards and they're like, oh, we're gonna do this, I'm gonna do this. And there's always this part of me that while I'm like, yeah, it's so excited. And yeah, I'm great to see all these opportunities happening. And I'm seeing all these amazing black talents on screen. Like, oh, it, make, it fills me with joy. There's always going to be this little part of me that's protecting my heart a bit because, mm. you know, always, things tend to be trends, you know? Things tend to be trends. Like a movement tends to be a trend. And frustratingly, I, like we have seen the equivalent of posting a black square um within the within the industry where like you know it's kind of performative not actually um like real systemic change or real action so you know i i there's a part of me that always has to kind of protect my myself emotionally because i'm like i don't want to get my hopes up too high but like i said i am very very um pleased to see the kind of call being answered in in some in some capacity and like you know i i we have a lot more work to do not just for the black community but for all marginalized groups because it comes to one thing doesn't it when it's about talking about it but seeing the actions like you want the tangible 
reality of it. We yeah. want to see that. We need to see that change. And I think, hopefully, if this time has taught us anything, that we are more connected than we are disconnected. We have more similarities than we do have differences. Yes. And hopefully we can all see that and all move towards that change together. I absolutely agree with you. But I also will say is that, you know, there's going to be certain groups of people who do have individual needs and specific needs and they mm. need to be respected and accommodated for. Because what often happens is that they will hire somebody who is not white or not straight or not cisgendered or not Christian or, you know, like they, whatever. Yeah. And then when you don't fit in the box that they need, you're a problem. You're like a diva. Mm. You're create. You're being difficult, and so and then you end up being in a position of like you're kind of in a fight mode all the time, and you're kind of fighting these kind of things around you, these systems around you because they just want you wanted you to slot in, and then they can tick and say, yeah, we you know look at this person we've got in front of our camera. As much as I, I do agree with you with that, we absolutely need to embrace everybody and all of their individual needs mm. and, and differences as well. Because our differences are also good and like beautiful and we can celebrate them. We don't have to kind of shove them aside. It's about celebrating difference and also seeing it as a superpower as well in our own identity, right? Like, yeah. Like everyone has their own unique individuality and that is everyone's power mm -hmm. isn't it mm -hmm. yeah I, I completely agree and my and my learning about all of it is is ongoing and and I think if you're if that's not happening um within the industry like we will have to we'll end up where we were mm. a friend of mine um gets, gave me this really great like analogy it, she sort of saw it as like all of these things like racism and homophobia and especially within the in, in industry, transphobia, all of all of these kind of like bigot bigotry, these issues of bigotry that like we encounter. It's like being out at sea or being and if you keep treading water, you have to keep working, you have to keep working. Mm. Otherwise, you'll get pulled out to sea. So you have to keep heading to shore. You have to keep treading water and heading to shore and I think the more people that are in that effort the less likely we're all gonna go get swept out so I just kind of and I just thought it was such a great image that analogy is so perfect yeah that is such an incredible way of looking at it and like that is such an amazing way to end this episode on that <laughs> analogy but at the end of every episode we always ask one final question and yeah. that's always in the reign of your life, what is the one rule you will always live by? Oh, that's a hard one. I think it has to be about having having kindness and compassion for others, but but also and just as importantly for yourself. Mm. Well, I think after speaking to you today, I think everyone needs to be a bit more you. And I'm going to take... <laughs> they need to be a bit so... more them. That's the point. Yes! They need to be, be them. them. And like... Respect what they need. Yes. Take those nuggets of wisdom and take them into your own life. Yes. That the, that's what it's all about. Uh, be unapologetically them. That's what we need for everyone. Yes. Everyone deserves it. Everyone deserves it. 
Yeah, everyone deserves to be them and respect their individuality. Absolutely. Yes. Well, thank you so much (laughs) for joining me. I've loved talking to you. You too. Thank you so much for listening, Queens. I hope you enjoyed this conversation and take just as much away from it as I have. And if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe or follow wherever you get your podcasts from so you'll know which amazing queen is joining me next time. And make sure you share this around your friends and get those conversations going because we need each other now more than ever before. Hi babes, me again. Just wanted to tell you about something very exciting. I can't believe I'm about to tell you this, but I've written a book and it's called Great Chat. As you know, I love to chat, plot spoiler, and I love talking to people about their lives because as I always say, talking and listening is so powerful. The book is all about how you can master conversation and transform your life, just like it has for me. I've used my experience from all the amazing interviews I've been lucky enough to do, as well as a load of research to help you deal with everything from making new friends to embracing difficult discussions. Great chat should never be underestimated. It can truly improve your well-being, allow you to create the life you want, and bring the connections you are so deserving of, babes. You can pre-order Great Chat today in hardback, ebook, and audiobook, read by me, no less, and it's out on the 20th of June.